Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Welcome back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I'm your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I just want to welcome everybody back. This is now episode 138, incredible. Uh, and we have one of my favorite people in the world here, Alexander McCovid, uh, who's coming to us from Dushore, PA. Is that where you're at today? That's right. So uh, tell us a little bit of about why you're there, Alexander. Well, this is the old family farm. You know, my great grandparents actively farmed this area, raised their kids on it. And over time, it's been parceled out. But my grandparents built their retirement home here. And while I didn't actually grow up here, I would spend summers and holidays here. I kind of felt like I did. And so I feel very humbled and honored to be able to carry this on, keep it, keeping it in the family as a place for them to come to. And it's where I like to come back to recuperate and rest up and get some heads down work done whenever I can. Well, I had the great fortune to be there for a few days last, uh, I guess, in just in sept late September, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, I want to let everybody know who you are and what you're doing uh, for those who aren't uh, familiar with you. And uh, Alexander McCobin here is the founder and CEO of Liberty Ventures. And uh, Alexander, uh, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what Liberty Ventures does. We're going to get into your whole story in a bit here, too. Well, simply put, Liberty Ventures is the ecosystem of values-aligned business leaders, investors, executives, and entrepreneurs who are all committed to advancing a free and prosperous future and helping them scale their businesses to scale their impact. So we work with businesses in a variety of ways. Some of it's through investing, some of it's through revenue operations, some of it's through talent recruitment some of its events, and, and increasingly it's going to be education and outreach to show people, especially young people, that business is fundamentally good and the most powerful force for good in the world to encourage them to not only appreciate business, but to go into business to make the world a better place. That's great. So uh, this is what you're doing now, but this is not the Alexander McCobin. I met roughly, I think, around 2009. So he and I were both working in the Liberty Movement. I had worked at a ISI, and then I was at the James Madison Institute. I think that's when we were introduced. And um, I believe it was 2009, I met you and your co-founder of, of, of what you had recently co-founded at the time, uh, somewhat recently, and that is Students for Liberty. Um, do you want to just give us a little bit about uh, your experience starting that and what Students for Liberty is all about? Sure. So when I was in college in the 2000s, I was a libertarian. I wanted to connect with other libertarian students and professors, but didn't find a way to do that. For the first couple of years on campus, I was isolated and alone and nearly became a socialist just to make my life easier. But thankfully, I decided to start a group on my campus at the University of Pennsylvania. And within a year, realized there were hundreds of other like-minded people out there, but we needed a group to bring us together. And that led me to connecting with other students running their own libertarian groups at other schools and sharing best practices with them. That led to us putting on what we thought would be a one-time conference, the Students for Liberty Conference, but just generated so much demand and interest from other students who are passionate about these ideas that we turned it into a nonprofit organization. And again, especially in 2009, when we met, always thought it was gonna be a small volunteer operation, but it snowballed into something bigger than we ever could have dreamed of. By the time that I stepped down, it was supporting 
thousands of volunteer student leaders that we would train every year, running groups in over 100 countries, putting on over 100 conferences a year for 20,000 students, just doing amazing things that continues on to this day. Yeah, it, it really does continue on to this day. And uh, you and I were both in Miami, I believe it was around October of 2022. Um, hard to believe a little more than a year's gone by since we went to LibertyCon. And they had a, I mean, I was really impressed. And I think what I've been impressed most by with Students for Liberty, and really this is your legacy, um, is how international uh, it has become as well. Because you kind of think of it, when I first encountered Students for Liberty, I was thinking it was like what you were doing on at the University of Pennsylvania and, and other college campuses around the United States. But to see how this has just proliferated, it's in Europe, it's in Africa, it's in Central, uh, it's in um, Latin America. So it's it's really amazing. And it seemed like that's where even maybe most of the energy is in some of these other places. So it's fantastic. And a lot of these places who really need uh, voices of liberty and strength and, and, and numbers. Um, and uh, you guys are really bringing a lot of people together. Well, Students for Liberty is you're you're on the board still, but uh, you've had I know you passed off the reins, you know, some years ago now um, and you've done a, a great job. But so tell us what you did after leaving Students for Liberty and where you went. So, you know, when we started Students for Liberty, I do mean we envisioned it as a volunteer organization. I was going off and starting a PhD in philosophy at Georgetown at the time and was a volunteer, a volunteer president for it for years. But over time, it kept getting bigger and bigger. And I actually dropped out of the PhD because I found myself enjoying running Students for Liberty more than being a PhD student or what I thought would be uh, what I thought would happen if I became a philosophy professor. So focused on SFL and as it kept growing, not only did I get to work with some incredible students and alumni who were doing things like leading protests in Brazil that led to the impeachment of the president for corruption in 2016 or starting unicorns in Silicon Valley or becoming groundbreaking lawyers and journalists and politicians. I got to connect with some amazing donors, including John Mackey, the founder of Whole Foods, who went from being a donor to a mentor to a friend, and who in 2016 recruited me away from Students for Liberty to go lead up an organization he had started called Conscious Capitalism, based on a book he had written by the same name in 2013 that was a different way of articulating the meaning of capitalism, emphasizing it's higher purpose than just maximizing profit. Profit's a great thing. We all want all businesses to make profit, but it's in service of doing something bigger in the world and achieving that by creating value for all stakeholders and conscious capitals in the organization was building basically the network of like valued business leaders. And for six years, I got the opportunity to run that, building more incredible relationships with other fantastic business leaders and build that association out. That's great. Um, so, okay. So then you, you then, at what point did you leave Contage Capitalism? And, uh, and I know you went out and you became an entrepreneur yourself, even though Alexander, I, I like to pause here and remind everybody, there's two ways of thinking of an entrepreneur. One is we think of traditionally somebody who starts a business or maybe leads a business or an organization of some kind, but also people can be entrepreneurial. Uh, in any kind of role they have. And I think you have always been that way. Obviously, you started a nonprofit organization, Students for Liberty as well. You led conscious capitalism. But then you went out and you went into the both the for-profit and nonprofit spaces uh, with uh, with what you're doing now. So tell us a little bit about 
why you uh, what you what you did and, and why you're doing it. So I, I want to emphasize that point, Francisco. I don't think being entrepreneurial is just in the for-profit space. It's absolutely in the nonprofit space. And when you think about what we did at Students for Liberty, it was running a business. It was a four and a half million dollar business by the time that I left with something like 40 full-time staff and thousands of volunteer leaders around the globe. And even as we thought about our expansion strategy, it was the same kind of strategy that businesses think about. We, we were very intentional in saying, we're gonna tackle one region a year. Well, we and so we ignored certain markets to emphasize other markets. We had to evaluate our marketing strategies, our programs, our revenue. A nonprofit is a business as well. It's just a different tax structure than, than a for-profit business. Otherwise, it's still just as entrepreneurial. But yeah. you're right. After, after, uh, after running Conscious Capitalism for about six years, I decided it was time for me to no longer run the association of Conscious Capitalists, but to be a Conscious Capitalist myself and go start a few different businesses, all under the Liberty Ventures umbrella, all under the, under the, the, the framing that took me a little while to realize, actually, that values matter and values in business matter even more. So building out this ecosystem of values aligned business leaders and finding different ways to help them scale their business and so scale their impact is what not only drives me, it's what drives our whole team, it's what drives our community, and it attracts incredible business leaders to work with us because they want to work with those like-valued business leaders. Yeah, so uh, so you've been doing this now for a few years, right? And um, I, so so Alexander, I've noticed Actually, over the less than a year now. Well, Liberty <laughs> Ventures, Liberty Ventures, less than a year. That's right, but. Uh, you have a few ventures that are now all under the Liberty Ventures umbrella. That's my understanding. And um, so you do a lot of things. And a lot of people ask me, what exactly does Alexander do, right? Because they, they see you here and here and here. And, you're like, and also, you're all, you're all over the globe, by the way. Um, and so uh, I know you, I think you started some of these things separately. So correct me if I'm wrong, but and maybe you could go through each of these elements. But you have the Principal Business Network. You have Leap. Um, you also, and then you have Liberty Ventures. I also know you have a podcast. Maybe you could tell us about that. I don't know where that all fits. Um, but, uh, and then I know you also do, uh, you host events at your family farm there. And uh, that's, that's its own little business as well. So can you tell us how, uh, about each of these elements, maybe if they started independently or, or, or parallel to one another and, and how they're all now under the, the, the brand of Liberty Ventures? So first off, you know, I do feel fortunate that I get to travel around the world. And some of it is thanks to you, Francisco. I loved our journey to Uruguay and Argentina last year that you facilitated. And I'm looking forward to the next Fearless Journeys trip. Um, but, you know, the, the same way that I jumped on that opportunity to go with you and found ways to do business down in South America as a result of it or tie into everything else that I'm doing. That's kind of my approach to everything in life nowadays. I want to, I, I care about making the world freer and more prosperous. And I believe one of the biggest gaps in doing that is helping more business leaders understand the capitalist system in which they operate and be the best representatives of and advocates for it they possibly can be and help them scale their businesses to scale their impact to advance liberty and to make humanity more prosperous. And there, and uh, 
in some ways, I'm being very opportunistic as we expand these different businesses and what we do. It's based on what we're hearing leaders need. It's based on what I or team members, the people that even that I can recruit in have the skill sets to develop that are additive to what we're doing. So it is in some ways really diverse. Sometimes projects start up on the side that we're able to, to group in under here, like talent recruitment. It's not something that has its own brand right now, but it's something we're getting more and more requests to help with. And so we're strategizing how to really build that up and help more companies with, but it's something they need to do, especially since businesses, as they build out their teams, don't want to bring on toxic team members. They want to bring on team members who are going to add to the culture, who are going to help them accomplish what they want. So they need to make sure they're bringing on values aligned members from the outset. Not something that I ever planned to be doing, but it's something that's come out of working with incredible business leaders, knowing there's this demand and actually seeing that I and Liberty Ventures have this network that we're building out and an opportunity to help them and figuring out what we can do. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think you're a natural entrepreneur in that, but also, I mean, this is what all entrepreneurs should be doing, listening or at least paying attention to the needs of people. Because you set out on what you believed the market needed, and it needed some of those things. But then you discovered through your interactions with different entrepreneurs, different businesses, uh, some of the things they needed that you didn't, you weren't yet offering. And then you decided, oh, maybe we can do that. We could pick that up and do that. And, and now you are. Um, so 100%, let me, let me actually give an example of that, that I think is illustrative. So one of the first businesses I started after I left conscious capitalism was going to be an app to connect co-founders with each other, like a Tinder for co-founders. And I was really excited about this idea, including with my, uh, my other co-founder in putting it together. But as we did that, we, we didn't see any traction in the market after, you know, we worked on it for months, got the MVP together. We just started to realize, even as we were talking with potential customers, our ideal customers, that they weren't going to use something like this. It wasn't, there, there might be this problem of matching the right co-founders, but this was not the solution. It wasn't something they were gonna pay for, but you know what they kept asking for? Help with fundraising, help with revenue. They needed money. And that's, that's what led to the pivot. So the Leap brand started out as an app to match co-founders, but now is focused on revenue operations because that's what we heard from customers that they wanted. It was a really important pivot that uh, that then allowed us to think about how we expand into other areas as well. So can you tell us uh, maybe an, ex an example of a kind of customer that a client of yours that uses Leap and what the kind of benefits for them, uh, maybe an example of something? So we, so we work with both for-profits and non-profits at Leap with Revenue Operations, where uh, it might be a small, it might be a small nonprofit that's really looking to scale or mid-market for-profit that is looking to add more leads or train their team up. And we work with them in a few different ways, but we follow what we call the Leap process, L-E-A-P. If you want to generate more sales or raise more money, you need to first generate more leads. You need to craft your ideal lead profile. You need to go out and actively research them and put together the list one way or another. Then second, you need to educate them. You need to warm them up, get them to understand the value that you're creating and get really excited about it so that you're then able to get a meeting and make an ask. Now, that's obviously tailored towards B2B sales or nonprofit fundraising. I'm not talking B2C, which is all marketing and different, but for B2B that we serve, it's 
getting those meetings, making the ask for the sale. And then once you get them as a customer or a donor, you keep them in by forming a partnership. You get them to be invested in your success because that is part of their success. They want you to succeed. And when that happens, it not only increases their lifetime value, it also gets them to start making referrals themselves to generate more leads and create a virtuous cycle. That's so, great. So we come in and help clients at each one of those stages or with all of them combined and providing coaching and training and accountability to implement all of this. It's not that we go in and do the sales for them, we provide backend support and training so that they're able to go out and implement this more effectively themselves. Yeah, I think that's that's really great. Probably taking a lot of uh, little little things off their plate and helping them to manage it more and and focus them on what they need to be focused on. Um, so if someone is trying to, you know, maybe they're they're interested in working with you and your team on that, who, how should they get in touch with you? Uh, uh, go to www.goleap.us or email me at alexander at goleap.us. We'd love to talk to any company or nonprofit that's run by a values line leader that is looking to scale that we might be able to help out. And the first thing we do, I'll also say, is figure out if we can actually help them. Because some there, there are plenty of, of organizations and companies that we're not the right fit for. And we want to figure that out early on and see if we can point them in the right direction to help them scale their revenue to scale their impact. Well, I know I've I've met and and to some degree worked with and 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 uh, collaborated with some of your team and they've uh, you have a fantastic team and I I learned believe it or not I learned just yesterday uh, through our friend Lucho uh, and he's my friend because of you because you connected us uh, but um, he was telling me about all the mentoring you do for all the members of your team he said this is actually one of the benefits of working uh, with and for Alexander is that you get Alexander's mentorship. And he was telling me on the weekends, you spend time mentoring some of your team. So can you tell me a little bit of that philosophy behind the mentorship and maybe some of the, the ways you do that? So look, if, if you're building a business, it's not going to grow if your team members aren't growing. And you do that in one of two ways. You either bring people in who have skills, experience, and values that, that build it out, or you help develop it in the team that you have. And I think it should, you should be doing both. And any good leader, I think, will say that. And for me, during the week, I am heads down. There is so much going on. It's back-to-back -back meetings, and then I've got to review proposals, get emails out, and want to stay focused on that. So I find it's really helpful to take the weekends to do a lot of reflection, to do some big picture projects and working and that and take time to work with key team members on their personal skills development, their leadership development and helping them out um, just any way that I can, because we're not in the, under the pressure of what of our day, our, our responsibilities during the week. We can be a little more free flowing. We can run over time if we want to a little more easily on the weekends and Honestly, it is also the case that I think you should work with people you like. If you don't like them, you're not going to want to work with them. And if you're if you're working with people you don't like, you're not going to do as good work as possible. So I still find it actually fun and engaging. And it's with people that I want to spend time with anyhow. So it works out. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, okay. So tell me a little bit about how the Principled Business Network got started, the genesis of that, and what it kind of looks like now. Yeah. 
So Principal Business is actually a 501c3 nonprofit that we started earlier, uh, not this year anymore, since 24, earlier in 2023 to, to leverage. So I said before, nonprofits are just a different tax status. And there's a lot of things that I and we want to do that are very clearly charitable nonprofit activities. We want to educate more people about the power of business as a force for good. We want to educate young people about why they should be entrepreneurs or go into business. We want to convene business leaders and provide trainings and support for them to advance capitalism and to be the best representatives of capitalism, to support their people better. So we created this nonprofit to facilitate all those activities and get support from more businesses and donors to support all of that. And we're in the early phases of building this out. We just held our very first convening for this, the Principal Business Summit at Sir Richard Branson's Necker Island in the British Virgin Islands, which was an amazing event with speakers like John Mackey from Whole Foods, Prue Leith from the Great British Bake Off, Joe DeSena from Spartan Racing, but with 40 other business leaders coming together, sharing how they're using business as a force for good and coming up with other ways to do that going forward. That's going to be a springboard for us to put more events on this year, not only a conference in New York that we're planning, but dinners and workshops and launching incubators and accelerators for young people to do campaigns, to educate the public about businesses that are making the world a better place and come up with other initiatives to keep building on this. It's in the early stages, but we're getting some great business leaders joining the network right now. And of course, welcome any business, anyone in business who wants to be the best representative of an advocate for capitalism they can be to get involved. So I know that you have had this entrepreneurship ecosystem you have been building for a while. Uh, but when you look at, you're saying you're in the early stages of the Principal Business Network nonprofit. And in the early stages, you brought 40 people to Sir Richard Branson. This is the founder of Virgin Airlines, right? That's right. Uh, and, and the whole Virgin <laughs> brand, Virgin Cruises. They were trying to do trains for a while. Um, you got 40 business leaders to Sir Richard Branson's Necker Island. Uh, so that's a pretty good early start, Alexander. We're, we're <laughs> pretty happy with the kickoff. That's right. Yeah, I saw some <laughs> of the pictures that you shared online. And um, Lucho told me how great it was as well. He was there. But um, and you had, like you said, some of the big names. And I think Sir Richard Branson was there himself, right? That's right. He, he came out, uh, thankfully, on the last day, spent time with us, shared his perspective, beat me at chess a second time. I need to practice more before I go and see him next. But it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a really great. So, I mean, um, if people are looking to maybe join, maybe there's a business owner um, that shares your values, that wants to join the Principal Business Network. How should they, how should they do that and how can they get involved? So they should go to principledbusiness.org and just send us an email or click on the, the interest form there. Collect the, we'll collect their information, start inviting them to events, give them opportunities to, if they're a seasoned business leader, perhaps mentor younger business leaders or share their stories with other people and help us figure out how we build this movement of capitalists advancing capitalism because I, we don't have all the answers for this. We need help. We're looking for partners in this venture. And those are the kinds of people we want to be early members. Yeah, so uh, you know, you talk about capitalism here and you talked a little bit earlier about an organization you were part of conscious capitalism, like we had to add a, like an adjective to it or something. <laughs> uh, but why do you, I mean, in this day and age, we are 
living with the fruits of capitalism. I mean, we could not be doing what we're doing right now. You are in Pennsylvania. I am in Florida. And we are talking to each other live like the Jetsons uh, in 2024 here. And we've, uh, we're going to upload this. We've got platforms to upload. I mean, none of this could be possible without the free market, without the capitalist system, without investment uh, from, you know, uh, wealth investment into entrepreneurship. And, 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 and you know, one, there was a day where YouTube or whatever I'm looking at right here, uh, Riverside platform and all these things, these were just, these were like fictions of people's imagination. And they needed investment to, to start and try these things and to see if they would work and see if people would use them and how useful they might be. And this, and so we are living uh, in this area era of abundance that no humans ever lived with before. And yet there's so much negativity about this word or this system or whatever you want to call it, capitalism uh, and the free market. Uh, can you tell us a little bit like what's going on here and, and then what the, what the kind of obstacles are and some of the things you're trying to overcome with what you're doing? Uh, with with this promotion of uh, all sorts of projects in this space? So I think it all comes back to a quote by uh, philosopher William Schlamm in the 20th century, that the problem with socialism is socialism. The problem with capitalism is capitalists. That's what we're running up against, unfortunately. He was dead on. Socialism just doesn't work. Capitalism has been amazing. But you know what? A lot of capitalists are not great representatives of it. Sometimes because they are exploitative, they are they do dehumanize other people. They're just trying to collect as much money for themselves as possible, and they're willing to cheat, steal, and do anything to do so. But since they're in business, quote unquote, gives it gives the whole system of capitalism a bad name, um, and people and people like to focus on that more than the business leaders who are actually creating value for people who are driving progress forward because they're not taking, they're giving so much more and they actively make money as a result, but that's ignored. But we also have a lot of business leaders that aren't very effective at explaining what capitalism is. And we've had some mis we've had some bad explanations and defenses of it, I think. Um, I think it was Voltaire who, who once said that um, the worst thing that can happen to a good idea is to be inaptly defended. And that's what's happened with capitalism. And that's why when, when the book Conscious Capitalism came out and that concept was first developed, I was so enamored by it. And I, I'm a, I am a conscious capitalist from the way the book articulates it, because it is a defense of capitalism for all the reasons that you said, but it explains capitalism is not fundamentally about maximizing profit. It, it has that as a component, but not as an end, but as a means to something greater. And too many capitalists and defenders of capitalism don't talk about that enough. They don't talk about the very human nature of business enough, which gives it a negative reputation, which leads to misunderstandings and a hatred of it that should not be there. And that's why I keep saying we need, we need capitalists to be both the best representatives of capitalism, meaning doing the right thing, being principled business leaders, and being advocates for it as well and being effective advocates to help more people understand what this is and why they should appreciate it and support it to lead to greater prosperity and, and human flourishing in the future. 
Well, I think that's great. And I, I, I actually think you really hit home there why you even called this uh, one of your organizations Principled Business Network, right? Because I think on one hand, you understand history, you understand economics. Um, and actually, I, I heard your philosophy degree coming in there with Voltaire. Um, and so uh, I think you, you understand all of those things and, and really believe strongly uh, in the understanding of what the free market has brought us, what capitalism has brought us, but also understanding human nature and understanding our, uh, people have a moral responsibility as well. And that should be done freely and voluntarily as well. Um, so I think, I think we're, I think we're kind of, you know, I know you and I are both very aligned on, you know, more freedom, uh, but also the the fact that we have to be responsible with our freedom, right? And I think that's what you're really trying to teach and encourage among the people that are the beneficiaries uh, of of the free market, uh, but also um, when they are the beneficiaries and, and when they are the winners, I guess you could say, right? When they're when they're leading and and succeeding in these businesses, how can they be principled in their leadership and uh, maybe as CEOs and owners and things like that? So I think it's, it's really great what you're doing on that front. Um, Thank you. you want to add something else? I, I do, actually. I'm going to tie in your shirt and my mug here with us <laughs> to this. You know, Dunder Mifflin from the TV show The Office. And it's, it's not just about business leaders doing the right thing. They need to do that. But it's also about them advocating for what they're doing and helping paint a different picture of capitalism because Dunder Mifflin is the way most people think about businesses and corporations. It's this soul-crushing place that you don't want to spend time at that uh, that you resent basically for being there. And sure, it was there was hilarity that ensued on the show. It was a great show. But what we need is more business leaders to challenge that perception, to say how they're actually working to make people's lives better, to paint a different picture of business so people feel differently about it, not only from commercials, but in their lived experiences it, at where they work. So it's funny that we're, that we're both you know here with Dunder Mifflin stuff when I think that's the antithesis of what we actually want to represent in business and what capitalism is about. And by the way, Dunder Mifflin, right? It's the, it's the fictional... Uh... Uh, company in the show The Office, right, that we know and love. Uh, but The Office was set in the town of Scranton, Pennsylvania, just less than two hours from where you live. Um, and uh, I had the great fortune to visit Scranton on the way out to your place. I, I had flown into Newark, New Jersey, and I, I saw Scranton on the map. It was just a little bit out of the way, but I literally spent several hours there and went to a bunch of the the places that are featured in the show, but as as you know, many people know, the show was never. I think maybe they might have had a couple scenes at some point throughout its history that they actually shot there, but uh, the show was totally shot in Hollywood. But they used all these real places of real businesses that have existed for decades, and I think that just goes to show you too, kind of the loyalty people have to good, strong businesses as well. And I thought it was really cool, and I kind of thought to myself afterwards, maybe this is why The Office was so successful. It it mm. actually connected with real like a real place where real americans lived and worked and yes it, it you know so it had these the, the the scranton itself was like a character right the city and the, the the nature itself was like a character they were always living in scranton and all the with all the little you know inner idiosyncrasies that come with being in scranton including all some of the the well-known businesses for a long time so i thought that was pretty cool that they did that and it was great um so alexander just 
coming back to Liberty Ventures, because I know when you started this, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, a little over a year ago now, about a year ago? Less than, uh, almost a year. Almost a year. And this was started, I think, um, primarily as a venture capital fund. Is, is that right? Or tell me, tell me if I'm correct or... So again, these things always evolve and different projects connect or disconnect in different ways and come back together. So Liberty Ventures is uh, now the umbrella brand that might change, we'll see how it goes, but it started out as the investment arm. And, and the whole idea behind this is that there are lots of investors out there and successful business leaders who are accredited investors that I've spoken with and a good friend of mine, Jeff Frazier has spoken with, we brainstormed this idea back in the day to, to put this together and he helped launch this with me at South by Southwest last year. We know that there are investors who want to deploy their capital in a values aligned manner. And we know there are entrepreneurs who are values aligned, who believe in a free and prosperous future that are paying close attention to the values of their investors. They, they don't want to tiptoe around their investors. They don't want to be worried that they'll say the wrong thing and get kicked out of their company because their investors don't share their values, which has happened to too many entrepreneurs lately. But there's been no easy way to connect those two groups before. So we launched Liberty Ventures actually as an angel investor network. So it's not a fund yet. It's simply a network of values line investors who want to see deal flow from us. And we'll syndicate individual investments in companies based on our diligence that we think uh, that we think have high potential. So it's also, you know, our first goal, I want to be really clear. This is not an impact investment fund or network where we say, we want you to do good in the world and take a sacrifice on profits or ROI for this. No, we want to get the best ROI possible. And our thesis is that we're able to attract better deal flow, build stronger relationships and add more value to companies we invest in by focusing on these values. And in, you know, what, the nine months since we launched this, we've looked at over 150 opportunities. We've made uh, four investments and are on to our fifth right now. We are, and we're getting incredible opportunities that I never expected before because of this values alignment and people being excited about working with like-valued investors and entrepreneurs. That's great. So I think the key phrase I heard here to describe what Liberty Ventures was created as is an angel investor network. And so I'm, I'm guessing in that you're attracting both investors, people who are looking for things to invest in, right? And then also you probably are getting applicants in a sense, uh, people who are uh, trying to sell you on why some of your people in your, in your angel investor network should be, uh, you know, should be interested in their company or their, their idea. Um, so those are, those are two, that's a, that's a great part of the entrepreneurship ecosystem. Uh, and, and if people want to find you on either of those spectrums, maybe they're, uh, an investor or a potential investor, maybe they're an entrepreneur, somebody with a big idea an innovator, how would they get in touch with you with Liberty Ventures? So for that, go to libertyventures.vc. Um, that's our website or email me at alexander at libertyventures.vc. And we keep expanding this. We have some big plans for where we want to take this to deploy more capital and support more incredible startups run by values aligned founders, um, not only in 2024, but going, going beyond that as well. And I'm actually not sure how much I'm allowed to talk about what those plans are in public right now, but big plans and 
anyone who is an accredited investor can join the network. There's no cost. There's no minimum commitments to do so. It's just literally getting access to the rest of the network, the deal flow, and helping us build that out as well. That's great. So we've gone through a bunch of things you're uh, involved with. Um between everything is falling under the Liberty Ventures banner, but obviously we have that angel investor network, the principal business network, uh, Leap, which is providing services for all sorts of businesses. Um, and Alexander, you also have a podcast, right? I do the Liberty Ventures podcast now. Yeah, there you go. So I know you've had a lot of different people on it. I know there's a lot more episodes to come, so people could find that on all the typical platforms, right? 100%. And we've got some more great episodes coming out. The whole point with that is to actually bring together the members of the Liberty Ventures ecosystem, our investors, our entrepreneurs, and executives who have done this to share their insights and experience to help people invest more effectively, to scale their businesses more effectively, and just grow as human beings and business leaders from other people who share their values. So, Alexander, first of all, I, I do want people to, I, I know a lot of productive people. Like, if you, like, you know, I think people who maybe, know me, follow me, whatever would say, I'm very well connected to a lot of very, very productive people. I have to say, I, 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 I don't think there's anybody else I know that is as productive as you. And I really, you know, we, you mentioned earlier, you traveled with me for two weeks in Argentina and Uruguay uh, last March and April. Um, and we, we had some, we had some great times in Buenos Aires, in Mendoza, in the wine country. We went, we went to some great places in uh, Uruguay and, uh, and but you were there on a trip with and we had you know like 15 people on most of the trip and you know you were uh you know one of these group trips are great because they they connect people they bring people together we have fun together we have great steak we have great wine you know whatever wherever we're at in 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 we we experience the local culture we connect with local entrepreneurs but like i give people at least a little bit of free time each day and you like <laughs> you use like every ounce of that free time to mostly work, um, be, get on calls. You were, you were literally working on what some might call a vacation or even if this, you know, I know my group trips, I try to tell people these are also business opportunities for people because you can connect with other entrepreneurs. Um, you can, you can use these trips as a, I mean, these trips are legitimately tax write-offs because you're literally meeting it's the same thing as coming to a conference, except it's more fun and interactive and you're experiencing new places and things like that. Uh, so, so if you, even if you envision that Alexander went on a conference and he was busy with all these things that were on Francisco's itinerary and agenda, oh, I'm going to give you a little free time. Well, this guy wakes up at like, I don't know how early in the morning and he's like going to, his, he's finding like the local CrossFit gym. And then, and then he's showing up at breakfast with everybody else. And then we're doing our things and he's like, oh, hey, if I had to miss one thing today, what would that be? Because I got to take a call. <laughs> you know, so, uh, And I just was like observing this for like two weeks and I was like, holy crap, this guy is like super productive. Now I get it. Now I know how he gets all these things done. Um, so can you tell me how the heck you, I mean, because I feel like I'm a productive person. I feel like I know a lot of productive people, but I look over there and I was like, how is this guy doing all these things? So can you explain? <laughs> Well, I, I take that as a great compliment and, you know, flattery will get you everywhere, Francisco. So thank you for that. Um, you know, I, it's just who I am. And, and the, the old mantra that if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life, I think is absolutely true. 
And that's why I've always leaned into doing what I love to do. And if I find I'm doing stuff that I don't love, I, I should change that. It's never just about money or, or even fulfilling obligations because you can change your obligations then if it's wrong. But I, I, what we're doing with Liberty Ventures is so exciting. I think building businesses is one of the most fun things that you can do. And like I said earlier, I think you should do business with people you enjoy being around and want to help. That's not just your team members. That means clients, investors. It's literally anyone that you're creating value for should be someone that you love and care about and want to help out. And that's going to drive you to do more. And then, you know, everything in life is about keeping yourself as well, well-rounded and at the top of your game as possible. So I think I, it is important to take care of your health, something that I've let slide in the past before, and I really try not to let slide again. I think it's important to take advantage of opportunities, which is why when you offered a trip to Argentina Uruguay, which I had told you I always wanted to do, I jumped on it while also still doing work and finding ways to do business from your trip. It, it legitimately did get me new clients and get me experience for other clients. And I was able to connect with some, some startups and entrepreneurs and partners that I didn't before. And I think everything in life is just about doing really cool, impactful things with people you like, and you find those opportunities where you can. Well, you could definitely tell. And I think that's another key characteristic of the entrepreneur is you got to, you got to be, you got to love what you do and be passionate about something you're doing, because if you're not there, like all those hours you're working and all those calls you're taking and all the things you're, you know, all the people you're working with, I mean, it can be a real drag if you didn't really love and be passionate about it. And you could tell from you, you are just always mission driven by whatever you do. Ever since I've known you at Students for Liberty to everything you're doing now, a uh, very mission driven person. And so when you're mission driven, it it's right. It, it, you're able to wake up with a lot of energy every morning and go crossfitting or whatever the heck you're doing. So on, on that note, um, you know, and, and our, yeah, our, sorry our for waking friend, you up one morning there because the gym was right above your room. Actually, <laughs> that is true. I forgot about that in Uruguay. Yes. I was like, I actually, there was banging on the, on the jumping. You could hear it. I was like, I think someone's working out up there and it was super early. And I texted you because I said, are you working out up there? And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. Is that, <laughs> is that your room below? And I said, yes, it is. So that's pretty funny. I mean, this is like a five, six story hotel or something. So I had to take the wild guess that it was this guy. Um, but, you know, speaking of um, you and Lucho have all these crazy challenges you've done. You've done some Spartan races. You've done. Tell me a little bit about how you uh, try to challenge yourself, uh, whether it's physically, mentally, whatever, uh, and how and, and how that uh, how that helps you, maybe. Well. I, you know, challenging yourself, I think, can be incredibly fun. And you and it's about getting into the not only mindset, but habit where it is fun to do. It's not always been that way for me, but it, it's getting there. And the, our mutual friend, Lucho, is a big reason for that for me. He's pushed me to take care, take better care of myself. He got me into obstacle course racing in a big way. And that's led to us coming to the farm here and training and now leading to organizing obstacle course races here, which you came out for next year, we're going to get you to run the race instead of just observing it, Francisco. But, you know, it really is just about putting in the time, finding a way to make it fun because it's what you want to do. And a big part of that for me with working out with health is that I've come to realize if you're not healthy, if you don't have the capability of doing various things, there's, you're missing out on a lot in life. I 
nowadays want to make sure that I'm physically capable of climbing a mountain that I happen to that happens to be near me in Andorra, which I hadn't planned on doing before. I want to be physically capable of going surfing in the morning and then doing big meetings in the afternoon, even like being able to pull red eye flights and be able to do back to back meetings and not lose energy because I'm ready for that. And that's my point that I think everything is interconnected with us. We've got to be training our bodies, our minds, our relationships. And the more we strengthen one, we should be strengthening the others if we're doing it properly. And so I, I always try to keep those in balance and uh, have them help each other out. So I feel like you and I are both, first of all, we're both on kind of very similar trajectories. We both worked in this liberty movement space, uh, in the nonprofit space, and then we both went out at almost similar times, unbeknownst, because we, we keep it, we've kept in touch over these years, but, you know, we don't live anywhere near each other. We, we sometimes lose touch and we, you know, you see people's social media updates and things like that. And we kind of both figured out we were, we were, we were doing these things a couple of years ago. And uh, so it's really been great to to bounce ideas off you, to, to talk to you about things and to have you be part of the Fearless Journeys community as well and be so enthusiastic about everything we're doing, especially our group trips. And I uh, can't wait to be on the next one with you. Um, and also for those listening, we haven't ironed out the details yet, but I am going to partner with Alexander to do something this summer uh, back at his uh, home base there in uh, rural Pennsylvania. And we are going to have a major uh, challenge uh, for people. So if people are up for the challenge, and that will include I, my idea, 72 hours without the phone. Uh, <laughs> so I'd love to see people attempt to do that for three days uh, without any screen time while doing some other fun challenges there with uh, with Alexander or maybe maybe with Lucho if we can get him there at the same time. So uh, a lot of fun stuff. And uh, But one of the things I think we also have in common is we both seem to have very positive mindsets and positive outlooks and um you know again with with your mutual our mutual friend here lucho yesterday i was with him and i, I was asking him a few things and one of the things we both agreed on and all the things you've been through and all the maybe maybe ups and downs and curves and challenges and things like that lucho had a great comment that i totally 100 percent agree with Alexander is unfazed by bad experiences, you know, and so, um, and, and really what we also talked about was the number one characteristic I outline for entrepreneurs is that entrepreneurs are problem solvers. And you seem not, not only to not be phased by, by maybe a setback or a bad experience or whatever you want to call it, um, you seem to look at it as an opportunity, like, oh, this didn't work, but we can do this instead, right? And I've even heard you say a few times in this conversation that um, you thought maybe people wanted this, but instead they wanted this. So you went in that direction. So, but tell me a little bit, because it seems like as I observe you as well, you just always have such a positive demeanor um, and how, and, and how you have that kind of mindset. Well, I, it's not the case that I'm never phased by negative things that happen. That absolutely happens to me like anyone else. And, you know, I work through that, but, but that's actually, I think the key thing, my mindset is always, how am I going to work through this? How do I turn this into an opportunity instead of seeing it as a setback or, or just a negative thing? And I don't think challenges are bad. They, they are opportunities to grow. Um, I think that's just a better way of going through life, right? We're only here for so long. 
Life is a lot more miserable if you're just pessimistic and negative all the time. It's a lot more fun if you're optimistic. And you know what? If you are looking to solve problems, you're more likely to actually solve them than if you just dwell on them or live in them. And I've been through that in my own life before where I have dwelled on them. I've just lived with them. But this is a whole lot more fun and a whole lot better. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree. I mean, I think that's when people ask me the same thing. I think that's it's it's just more fun to be optimistic or to be positive, uh, to have that kind of mindset. Um, I mean, people could say you're naive or whatever. I don't I don't know, whatever. But it's like uh, I think for you, I think what you just said, though, it's uh, it's finding um, the the opportunity in that. And, you know, um, one of my favorite presidents, obviously, Ronald Reagan, had this story. I don't know if you ever heard about it where it was uh, it, the, the, the phrase was called find the pony. And um, anyway, so it's a long it's a long story, but basically uh, <laughs> it involves uh, a kid. Uh, basically one kid was given all these toys in a room or something like that and uh the kid found just some problem with everything right and then this other room this kid they basically put the kid in the pile literally with a pile of poop like really high pile of poop in the room and just wanted to see how this kid would react the kid is going through uh the pile of poop like like he's he's just so excited he's looking for something he's like what's going on here and he said there's so much poop here. There's got to be a pony somewhere in here. Right? <laughs> Something like that. So, so Ronald Reagan would always tell his staff when they had a problem, he would use the phrase, find the pony. And I think like, I probably didn't tell the story completely accurate, but it was this, it was the same sentiment there. And that was um, that there with, no matter what the problem is, there's, there's an opportunity embedded in there somewhere. And so kind of always have that positive mindset and uh, which you do. Um, and so, and I love that Reagan is a great inspiration. I'll throw another quote in there from Winston Churchill, one of my heroes, that success is the ability to go from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. And that's, that's another way of thinking about the same thing. Yeah, for sure. So Alexander, we've covered a lot of ground here today. I hope that uh, maybe those who don't know you or those who maybe know you, but wanted to know all the things you're involved with. I hope they've gotten some answers here today. Um, and I, there's a lot of different places that we've sent people. We'll put, we'll put all the different links that you've mentioned here in the show notes as well. And uh, people, I hope they can subscribe to this on all the platforms that you might watch or listen. What will be on YouTube and Spotify and, um, and Apple podcasts and all those, all those other platforms. Uh, but is there any uh, closing yeah. comments, thoughts, anything that you'd like to add uh, that maybe we didn't get a chance to cover yet? You know, I, I just want to say thank you for inviting me, Francisco, for starting Fearless Journeys. I love the community. I love the trips. You're an example of a principled business leader. And I, I'm just so looking forward to the next trip we do together. If anyone's listening and hasn't been on a Fearless Journeys trip, I'm going to give you a plug, Francisco, and say go on it. It's incredibly fun. They're great people, great activities. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to just doing a whole lot more with you and not only hosting the this challenge no phone event at the farm this summer, but then getting you back to the obstacle course and getting you on the course this time. We'll we'll do the <laughs> obstacle course. I, I you know, and I was telling Lucha yesterday that what we're going to do on this next one is we'll create a lot of challenges, and you guys already have a whole bunch of them. And people don't have to do them all, right? No, uh, but we're going to gamify this. 
every time you complete a certain uh, challenge, you get a certain number of points based on the, the toughness of that challenge. So, you know, everyone has to agree to come and put their phones in a box for 72 hours. I mean, that's going to be a bottom line baseline thing. Uh, and so, uh, but, uh, and, and I maybe, you know, I know you've got some grounds there for people to camp out and things like that too. So, you know, maybe we could just add some, you know, when you do something a little more challenging, um, I don't know if you got a chance to read it, Alexander, uh, but we have a book club in the Fearless Journeys community. And one of the books that really had a big impact on me in 2023 was The Comfort Crisis. And um, you know, I think you and Lucha are kind of living this comfort crisis. He's on another crazy level. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, one of the things, so, you know, he, so Michael Easter, the author, talks about all the comforts that we have in our life that we take for granted. Um, I mean, it could be just sitting on a nice, comfortable couch in air. I mean, we, we spend, I think he said, um, most Americans spend something like 90% plus of our days in climate controlled environments. I mean, we literally don't leave climate controlled environments. Um, and uh, just all these different things, you know, we have food at our, uh, at our disposal. Uh, whatever we want. And we don't even realize where the heck it comes from because it just shows up on the shelf, you know, at our grocery store. Um, and so trying to figure that out, but, you know, so, you know, he's, he goes in this book, he goes hunting so that he gets more connected with his food. He goes hiking. Um, he, he does all sorts of great challenges. And, but one of the things he talks about too, as we're thinking about all these things is how much screen time we all spend. And it's like an insane amount and it's going up every year. Um, and we just don't leave our screens. I mean, I've got two right here in front of me right now. Right. And, and so, um, so, but what he says is we need time away from those things, those devices, and maybe it's one day a week, maybe it's three days a year. Maybe it's, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can, you could spend less time. Maybe it's putting some limits on your apps and things like that on how much time you spend on things. But, um, I thought it'd be really cool if we could, I mean, it's going to be a real struggle the first 24 hours for people to be like, oh, I can't check my email. Oh, I can't text somebody. Oh, I can't look at Facebook, you know, whatever. Um, and so, but I think to be in the company of other people, because uh, nobody journeys alone. And I think, um, I think we'll have some great conversations and we'll have some great fun, things like that. So we'll put them, some dates on the calendar for, for this year, uh, likely in the summer here and, um, and, and have some opportunities for people to to get away from the screens and connect with real people in real life and do some fun and challenging things. And we'll see who wins the ultimate challenge. <laughs> I love it. We're going to make this happen. Yes, we will. So, uh, well, thank you, Alexander, for being on the agents of innovation podcast and for being an agent of innovation. I enjoyed this conversation. I look forward to many more in the future. Me too, Francesco. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you. Thank you.